Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones, every friend, to look inside their hearts and understand that I. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, and I'm thrilled to death that you're able to join us today. Uh, for those of you that are new to our show, Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. We believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having these everyday conversations about life with dementia, we can and will remove the stigmas attached to memory loss and help those living with the disease Together, we can help everybody understand the true needs and remove the myths and just create um, a world that isn't so full of fear and isolation, which is what's out there right now for those who are dealing with this disease. Collaboratively, we can win this battle. And I know it's working because of all of your likes and clicks and shares with uh, your circles of friends and um Colleagues, uh, you're making a big difference. Uh, sharing our different platforms from the radio show to the blog to the dementia chats uh, to the various webinars and, and the resource website really is making a difference. And um, we know that because Dr. Oz and ShareCare recognized us as the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's disease. And that would not have happened without all of you um, just sharing the knowledge. It still surprises me to this day after 30 years of a journey with my own mom on this disease, um, how many people I know are dealing with the disease but don't talk about it. And by, again, sharing that information, you are opening a door for opportunity. So when someone is ready to have that conversation or look for resources, uh, you're letting them know that, that it's there. And that's a huge, huge thing. So I really want to thank all of our listeners for um, all of your help and participation because none of us can do this alone. And it really, really does take a village. Now, for today's show, like any other show, there's a couple of ways that you can participate. You can, uh, for those of you that are listening um, via your computer, you can go ahead and use your chat box and go ahead and put in questions and comments, and I will pull those in as we um, proceed along with the show. Um, or you can call in live. And uh, that number is 714-364-4757. That's 714-364-4757. 
Now, before I introduce uh, my co-host and my guest today, I always like to just kind of give a shout out to certain organizations that I think are um, really relevant and have lots of great resources uh, for those dealing with dementia. Um, Alzheimer's Disease International, again, for those of you that don't know, is the association of all the Alzheimer's associations around the world. They are loaded with great information and they can hook you up to the closest Alzheimer's Association in your area. You can just go to www.alz.co.uk or again, just Google Alzheimer's Disease International. There's also a study out, a Tau study, and you can go to the alzheimerstudies.com website to get information. They are looking uh, for people for that clinical trial. Uh, The Lewy Body Association um, is also a wonderful, wonderful resource, and they have a really nice short um, URL. It's just LBDA for Lewy Body Dementia Association.org. So LBDA.org. Um, the Purple Angel Project, I'd be amiss if I didn't talk about that, especially since this last Saturday I was inducted as one of the 50 ambassadors worldwide to help promote this new global symbol for dementia. And you can just go to the purpleangel.org.uk. Uh, site there. There's also an association for frontal temporal uh, degeneration. And that disease is, you know, is quite a bit different. And so there's going to be a lot of great resources there for you. And uh, their URL is just the AFTD.org. The AFTD.org. Um, So that's all I'm going to mention for right now. So let's go ahead and get uh, rolling in with this show. Um, I do want to just do a shout-out to all of those that were struck by the tornadoes. Um, Our thoughts and prayers are going out to you. And, um, you know, it was just a a devastating, devastating time. And I know community is going to be wrapping their arms around all of you and and supporting you through this. Once again, uh, for the month of November, since it's Alzheimer's and Caregiver Month, we are lucky to have Sherry Snelling with us. And again, for those of you who aren't familiar with Sherry, Sherry is the CEO and founder of the Caregiving Club. She's also the author of A Cast of Caregivers, Celebrity Stories to Help You Prepare to Care. That's an absolutely amazing book. And I would encourage you to to, uh, run out and and, um, either purchase that or go to your library and check that out um so sherry how are you doing today i am doing well Lori. thanks again and and you know again i wanted to thank you for having me as your co-host and guest host um for this month it's so important and i really appreciate being here um you know i as i was listening to you give out so many wonderful resources i wanted to add a, a couple of notes if you'll let me um sure. for for your listeners Um, One is there's another organization that does a lot of clinical research, and I wanted to make sure your listeners knew about that. And if you go to endalls, A-L-Z-N-O-W-R-G, endallsnow.org, that is the Alzheimer's Prevention Initiative, and they're running several different clinical trials, one on early-onset Alzheimer's, 
Another one is on familial, um, you know, genetic connections to Alzheimer's disease. And if you are uh, a family with Alzheimer's or you want to just learn a little bit more, um, then I would recommend that you check out that website and perhaps even participate in some of the trials. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention so often uh, we're focused on obviously caring for our parents and, you know, particularly I think with Alzheimer's disease, we we focus on that because we know there's such a prevalence, um, particularly for those over the age of 85, one out of two uh, of our older Americans we know will develop Alzheimer's um, after the age of 85. But I think today we're going to have a guest on, uh, Lori, that you and I have both spoken to who can talk to that early onset of the disease and how he and his spouse have coped and his daughter has coped, which is a slightly different story. And then I also wanted to recognize that there are 1.5 million children under the age of 18 in this country who are caregiving for either a parent or a grandparent within their home um, for a variety of different reasons, but the number one reason that children become caregivers is Alzheimer's disease. And there was a, a wonderful gentleman um, who, Chris, who is part of the American Association of Caregiving Youth, and he was recognized by Diane Sawyer on World Evening News last Friday as the person of the week, and he was a young caregiver. So um, if you go to my Facebook page, Caregiving Club on Facebook, um, I have a link to that Diane Sawyer segment if you're interested in watching. So thanks for letting me do a couple shout-outs. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I appreciate it. Uh, it's always nice to give our, our listeners some uh, different information, so that's great. I'm going to go ahead and introduce our first guest here. Um, Karen Love, is uh, she's going to be just an amazing guest, and I know she's going to be very engaging, and I won't be surprised at all if we get a lot of people calling in with questions and comments. On the other side, people just might be enthralled. Um, <laughs> and just want to hear what she has to say as well. But Karen is a former speech therapist and long-term administrator with more than 30 years of experience in the field of aging. She has led many national initiatives, including one um, at the uh, behest of uh, the U.S. Uh, Senate Subcommittee on Aging. Ms. Love can, uh, believes Best outcomes are achieved through true and diverse collaboration and by bridging research, policy, and practice sectors, which to me is just dear to my heart. I just I love her philosophy and her approach to things. Um, she uh, was very innovative in a nationally recognized approach using the Montessori-based techniques that enhanced well-being for people living with dementia through meaningful and purposeful engagement, known as therapeutic engagement. Um, Karen has been the co-investigator on numerous research projects funded by the National Institute on Aging and the U.S. Administration on Aging to study the effects and the advanced knowledge and evidence about person-centered dementia practices. Her father also had Alzheimer's disease, so she has been personally touched um, like, oh, so many of us have. So welcome, Karen. How are you doing today? I am wonderful, and thank you so much for inviting me on. 
Well, we are just absolutely thrilled to have you on. Um, holding you to an hour is going to be tough because <laughs> I could talk to you all day long. And one of these days I will. I know I will. <laughs> I'm going to meet you in person and just corner you. Um, so, well, let's go ahead and get this, this uh, conversation started. Can you tell us about your newly launched Dementia Action Alliance um, program? I, I just find this fascinating. Thank you. Yes. Uh, I founded a nonprofit consumer advocacy organization in 1996 called CCAL, Advancing Person-Centered Living, and we have teamed up with two other leading national organizations, Plain Tree, which is another uh, consumer-based uh, advocacy organization, and the Eden Alternative. And all three of our organizations have at the core of our mission uh, person-centered care. And so we've joined together as a leadership team to launch what we're calling the Dementia Action Alliance. And its purpose is to coalesce and connect people living with dementia, their care partners, and other advocates uh, in order to form a, a collective national voice about what their needs and preferences are. Uh, unfortunately, people living with dementia and their care partners um, really have a national voice. And having that national voice is so important because that translates to political clout. And political clout is needed to shape federal and state policies and how money is being spent um, and, and also to ensure that dementia care practices really are achieving the outcomes that we want, that quality is high, and that those types of things are the norm rather than um, the exception. And I think too many of us all too often hear about outcomes that, um, you know, really aren't the kind of quality uh, that we would like. And, and I think we can fairly simply you know, make that um, more the norm instead of the exception. Wonderful. Um, I am going to go ahead and um, throw the next question over to uh, to Sherry to ask you, because I think that you probably have a, have a list as well. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, you know, maybe, um, Karen, you can explain to our listeners Obviously, you're so passionate about the importance of person-centered dementia care. And can you take us through, you know, specifically some of the things that that means and and how your coalition is really addressing that? Certainly. Uh, person-centered dementia care practices are those that help people who have dementia live their life to their fullest, um, basically by supporting their well-being. So, for example, we know that um, people with various types of dementia, um, the limbic system seems to get um, supercharged, and that leaves them very hypersensitive to emotions and feelings. So how people um, communicate, approach, um, you know, have interactions with them is very, very important. So being warm, compassionate, gentle, um, eye-level communications, those are things, for example, that we would call person-centered. Um, secondly, it's building on their individual strengths and not their limitations. So, for example, 
if somebody who loved to cook um, no longer has the ability really to prepare an entire meal, it's kind of breaking things down into smaller portions um, where they still do have strains. Like, for example, tearing up the lettuce for salad, um, mashing the potatoes to make mashed potatoes, buttering the toast. Those little things may seem pretty insignificant, but what happens is that they cumulatively add up and, you know, that helps the individual, um, you know, physically. I mean, they're moving parts of their body, but it also helps their emotional well-being. Um, and that gets to the, the third one, which is supporting have them having purpose and meaning in daily life through doing things that are um, interesting and, and helping them experience fun and joy. And if I may, I'd like to give a, a quick example of my own dad, um, he was a, a naval career officer and then retired and went on to be an executive in an association. And when he wasn't working, he liked to fix things around the house and um, gardening. He was a, a, a wife's um, dream. He loved his honeydew list. Um, so when he had um, dement- when he had Alzheimer's, we were thinking along those lines initially about how to engage him and how to get him um, involved in things. And and those weren't the kind of things that were replicable. But when we thought one step further about what were the types of things that brought him joy, it was really easy to think of a lot of things. For example, he loved watching his young grandchildren play and interact. Um, He loved to go for walks. Um, He loved dancing with my mom. I mean, just in the kitchen, turning on the radio. Um, Begin the Begin, and his whole face, almost until the very end of his life, would light up and um, and eating anything. So so we knew that, you know, sitting down with his family, all of those things were really very meaningful. So that those are the types of things that encompass person-centered care. When you translate that to, for example, a doctor's visit, um, if the receptionist, if the um, healthcare technician, if the doctor, if everybody's kind of very abrupt, um, if they talk, for example, to the adult child um, who might be accompanying them, all of those things are are not person-centered. Um, and so there are lots of permutations of this, but that's just to give an overview. Great, thanks. That's really helpful. Yeah, there's so much talk about about person centered, and there's you know so many different. Um, I, I mean, person centered. Sometimes people think that it's just one technique, you know, and and a one thing that you apply towards a task. But it really, it's a it's a culture. What you say in terms of your approach, in terms of everything that you provide to someone you're caring for. Absolutely. That's a great way um, of looking at it is that you have, you know, sort of these, um, you know, general um, steps to to kind of encompass, but how you um, integrate them and how you use them is individual. So probably the one thing that I would say that person-centered dementia care practices are not is a one-size-fits-all. So you really, you have to know the individual. Um, for example, I, when I was running um, a nursing um, facility at one point, we had a gentleman with very advanced dementia, 
And it was very hard to get him focused, you know, and to sit down and eat. But if I sat down with him, so I was at his eye level, and talk, started talking about music, he, he played the trombone, um, and that, you know, even though he was very progressed, if I could focus and talk to him a few minutes about that, he wouldn't realize that he was sitting and eating, and, you know, before you knew it, he had dinner done. Um, so it's those individualized things, knowing the individual, knowing what, you know, sort of triggers their strengths. And, um, you know, we don't typically talk about things that way. Um, but but there are these simple techniques that, you know, can make things, um, you know, more enjoyable, not just for the person living with dementia, but for those who are caring for them. Nobody, you know, wants the tension or, you know, the difficulties. Right. You know, Karen, you said something earlier about um, sometimes doctors or nurses or healthcare professionals can be abrupt or perhaps they don't address their comments and discussion to the person with Alzheimer's. Instead, they turn to the caregiver. You know, can you give us a sense? One of the, the, the fine lines, I think, in caregiving is when the caregiver should be included in the conversation because they are going to be on the front lines of providing the care for the loved one. So, you know, I've heard a lot of frustration from caregivers who say, the doctors don't include me in the conversation. I have no idea what's going on. They tell my mom, and she may not be lucid enough or may not be paying attention, and then there's just confusion versus obviously closing or shutting out the person altogether who is the patient needing the care who wants to still be an important part of, you know, what's happening with their care. So what's how, what's the best balance and what advice do you give to caregivers, particularly those with Alzheimer's, who may not be able to fully understand and grasp what a doctor or a nurse might be saying? Ah, great question and great point to bring up. And I'm so glad that you're going to have somebody who has um, early stage of dementia because that is something really helpful and practical to address up front because doctors um, oftentimes, you know, take the HIPAA um, privacy requirements, you know, very seriously um, and, you know, without authorization from the individual who has dementia early on when they still have the ability, um, you know, to make that. Um, you know, the healthcare professionals, you know, really shouldn't be giving out information, e- even though it doesn't maybe necessarily make sense. So the kinds of things that you can set up early on, um, you know, really help provide a gateway for things working more smoothly, um, you know, after they no longer have perhaps the ability to think through those more complex things. We also hear a lot um, about you know, an adult child, for example, taking a parent who has dementia to a doctor's visit and the doctor focusing the whole discussion on the adult child rather than, you know, kind of looking back and forth um, like you would a normal conversation. The person who has dementia likely isn't going to understand all of the points and nuances of the discussion, but they will clearly recognize when they're being left out of the conversation. There's that hypersensitivity um, component to the feelings that comes in. So it's very, very important, you know, not to turn them off or have them leave that appointment um, feeling, uh, you know, sort of these negative feelings 
um, you know, you want this to be positive, and that can very simply be done just by, you know, addressing comments to both, even though the adult child is the one taking in the information. Great. Thank you. Now, Karen, how in the world do you get research policy and practice to merge? Because there's such different mindsets and typically attack things from different angles. <laughs> what the heck's your game plan? I mean, I, 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 I'm all behind you, girl, but... <laughs> but but how, how are you going to do that? Because, I mean, I, I go into nursing homes, assisted livings, all of that, and they're like, but we have to do it this way because of code compliance. We have to do it. you know. And they're so task-focused that they totally ignore the relationships before them. And and they don't think they are because they, they think they're being person-centered because the task is about somebody else. But... Um, from an engagement in an emotional level, um, it, it's the connection's not there. From a physical process, it's there, but um, not on any other sphere. Mm-hmm. You bring up another really good point, um, and you you do it very carefully <laughs> um, because you're right. They all have their own cultures. Um, you know, it's not a sense of one is doing it wrong, the other is doing it right. It's how do we integrate? How do we um, help inform? You know, and shape information using research, for example, well-formed, designed, executed research to inform policy and practice, and that's one of the things CCAL um, we have been involved with really from the beginning and it all starts with relationships you know with the wide spectrum of stakeholders because once they get to know you they know where you're coming from and there's that trust then you can start um, doing the work having the conversations drilling down um, you know affecting change and um, you're right we tend to get very um, task focused um, and there's a lot of concerns, especially within the nursing home sector. I can't do X and such because the regs don't allow me to. That's not the case at all. It, it may be their interpretation um, of it. And so how do we surmount some of these difficulties? And that that really is um, part of the genesis of the whole Dementia Action Alliance and the Eden Alternative and Plain Tree joining our organization, because part of what is missing is clout, and you need to have clout in order to change things. So I'll give you an example. HIV-AIDS um, has done a phenomenal job in coalescing clout and then affecting change. For example, in 2012, the U.S. allocated and spent $28.4 billion for HIV-AIDS programs and activities, both domestically and globally. There are 1.1 million Americans currently living with HIV-AIDS, and that is a condition that has effective treatment developed in order to manage it through medications. In contrast, there are 6.8 million Americans living with a form of dementia. The U.S. spent for the same time period, 2012, $500 million. Now, we were talking $28.4 billion for HIV-AIDS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there is no effective treatment for dementia. 
Um, so having clout is critically important. Um, and then coalescing and organizing. And so that's what we're trying to do through the Dementia Action Alliance is doing the coordination and um, coalescing so that we can address, um, you know, what is being researched? Are these things that people and family members feel are important? Um, you know, services and programs, adult day programs across the country, state and federal monies have been cut significantly. Yet if you are um, a family caregiver, those are really important programs to help you, um, you know, keep the individual still living at home. And we can do a lot of things nowadays um, through the Internet. Your radio program broadcast, for example, is a wonderful um, example. So through the Alliance, we think we can connect and hook in people from all across the country and create, um, you know, virtual community and use that clout effectively. You know, Karen, you bring up such an important point in the dollar amounts that you just gave our audience. I've always been amazed at the amount of money that the government does spend on things like, you know, heart disease, which we do know is the number one killer out there, and cancer, um, and, you know, obviously HIV and AIDS, yet, you know, so little is spent on Alzheimer's prevention, research, uh, you know, other um, therapies and programs that can that might be able to help or find, some, you know, a cure one day. Um, and yet it's the sixth leading cause of death now in the U.S. is Alzheimer's disease. So that kind of brings to mind, you know, in the in the caregiving and dementia care worlds, we have that that acronym we throw around a lot called NAPA, which always makes me think of Sonoma and wine country. <laughs> but it's how I remember what it stands for, which is the National Alzheimer's Project Act, which was signed um, into law by the president in January 2011. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what that act means, uh, both on a, a global or you know at least a, a national level, and how it might impact them, and then also how it really led to the creation of the Dementia Action Alliance that you're you're spearheading. Yes, absolutely. Um, NAPA and and many many people, even um, professionals in the field of aging, aren't familiar with um, NAPA. So if you are um, a family member, don't feel bad if this is new information. It's, it tends to be um, a pretty a pretty good secret. Um, part of the, the law that went into effect in January 2001 called for the creation of uh, an advisory council with 12 members appointed by the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services and then um, either the head of or a high representative from um, a number of federal agencies, including CMS, uh, the National Institute for Aging, uh, the Veterans Administration, um, and, and probably another dozen or so more. And so those individuals are the ones that create the recommendations that go to the Secretary's office, which then in turn goes to the White House, and determines what the U.S their priorities and their um, focus uh, of efforts and um, resources are going to be. So it's really critically important, um, you know, what goes on at that advisory council level. They meet four times a year, and they are releasing annual reports. And kind of to put this in perspective, the United States is um, the last 
large developed country in the world that has come up and developed um, its national plan. We're the only one in the world that calls it specifically um, the Alzheimer's plan. Every other country calls it the dementia plan, and including the World Health Organization. Um, they use the terminology dementia as well. And the reason for that is because it's felt to be more inclusive. Um, Alzheimer's is the most common form of dementia, but there are um, other types. And you don't want to let people with Louis, Louis body or vascular dementias, for example, to feel that they aren't included. So we were the last country in the world to come up with the national plan in 2012. And we're, we're the only ones who have such a huge focus on the cure and the treatment. Not that those aren't critically important, but it's like a three-legged stool is how we think of it. It's the care, the cure, and the treatment, and they all need to have focus um, and balance. There are 6.8 million people currently living with dementia, um, and, and they would tell you how important um, you know the care aspects of it are. So specifically what kind of catalyzed the, the Dementia Action Alliance from the, the creation of NAPA and more importantly, you know, sort of where it's gone in its priorities is that there's a very high focus on cure and treatment um, and a very minimal focus on care. Um, it's also silent on what is considered by the Institute of Medicine, the World Health Organization, among other kind of arbiters of excellence. Person-centered care is considered the gold standard, um, and NAPA is silent on that. Um, and there is also um, uh, a lack of having somebody who, who currently is living with dementia, somebody perhaps um, in an early stage of dementia. Um, and so what happens is that you have a lot of people representing um, medicine, bench science, um, the heads of organizations, um, and, and that kind of influence um, affects really the direction that the policies and things are going in. So our Eden Alternative Plain Tree and CCAL felt that it was really critically important you know, to take some leadership and stand up and say, you know, there needs to be this coalescing of voices and a knock on the door to say, hey, you know, this is what, what people living with the disease and their care partners, these are things that they feel are important needs and preferences rather than letting these other proxies um, perhaps, you know, make make these important decisions. We've recently been funded by the Retirement Research Foundation um, to help do a national, conduct a national survey. We're working through the University of Buffalo, their Institute for Person-Centered Care, on um, coordinating and, and um, putting together this online survey so that we'll have a mechanism to be able to gather some voices um, to bring back to the leadership of NAPA. Terrific. That's wonderful. You know, it was really interesting listening to you talk, and it was it really saddened me that we were like the last country to get on board because we we have this thing in our our mindset here in the U.S. that we're the leaders yeah. on everything, and um, so I'm really glad that you brought that point up. And you know, some of these myths have to be broken. And 
um, you know, that you're going in with this Dementia Action Alliance because it is broader based. You know, I used uh, just for Alzheimer's Speaks, uh, you know, I've thought about changing my name, but it's just branded so well. Um, yeah. But I try to be inclusive so that people know that we're not uh, a limiting, um, you know, other diseases and and stories and, you know, have expanded to dementia chats and things. But, I, you know, I, I find it really very, very interesting that it's taken us so long to really um, see the need to be all inclusive and um, and how critically important it is. Um, I was talking with a, a man, and this sidesteps it a, a little bit, but I think it's just a really wonderful point. We launched a dementia-friendly community in October in Watertown, and we had a um, memory cafe, and at their first memory cafe, they had 12 people show up, and one person showed up who was not diagnosed yet. And what he said was, um, "Is it okay? Is it okay that I'm here? I haven't been formally diagnosed, but I'm having memory issues." And he said, "You know, I'm not really sure if it's Alzheimer's or some other form of dementia, or he says, or if it's just chemo brain." He says, "Because I had cancer," and he said, "But you know what? Bottom line, it doesn't make any difference." Because I'm still having problems, and and I just thought that was just so, he just stated it so beautifully because it wasn't about fitting in a category, it was about collaboration and support and comfort, and that's really as simple as it gets. You know, if we can focus on that collaboration across all borders and all industries and and coming up with safe, comfortable environments for people and learning to create joy. I mean, that's really as simple as, as all of this is, in my mind anyways. I mean, I know there's a lot of hard work to get there. Um, but I think something... No, I think you, you hit it on the head. And, and I know you're very active in... Um, you know, helping create and support these Alzheimer's cafes so that there are places for people like that gentleman. I think that's, that is a beautiful story, um, you know, and it just underlines the importance of having those resources. So kudos to you for both radio program, people can get information, um, you know, and helping create places for them to go. Yeah. You know, and Karen, oh, go ahead. Oh, go, go ahead, Sherry. Well, I was just going to ask Karen, you know, um, it was a beautiful story, Lori, and I think the memory cafes and, you know, other programs are so essential for both the people who are diagnosed but also for their caregiver. Um, I was going to ask Karen, or even you, Lori, because you've, you've dealt with this a lot, what what are the challenges for families and for the, the patients and caregivers? Because often there's such a stigma attached to Alzheimer's disease. And I'm wondering if you're seeing a change because there's more understanding of what this disease is or and what dementia is, or do we still have a lot of challenges in that area? Lori, you want to take the first step? Well, you know, I, I think that there's still a ton of issues. <laughs> and and I, I think we have a major, major long, long ways to go. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the conversation has just started. And so we, we don't even know what the issues are because we, in in terms of numbers, we are having still so few conversations that really matter that get to the meat of things. And, and it's changed a lot just in the last two years, and I applaud everybody for their efforts in that. But again, it's you know, it's it's a pimple on a mountain. 
<laughs> as far as how how far we need to go and and uh and and you know how we need to get there and I think that's why it's so important to create um things like Karen is doing with this dementia action alliance community because it's going to pull in bigger broader sources that are far more reaching um and the more inclusive we can be the better you know at this point I'd also like to invite anyone in our audience to call in and we'd love to hear from you in terms of this question of, you know, what, what are the issues and the stigmas um, and the myths that you're still struggling to fight with out there? And the number you would call in is 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757. And um, I'll also be monitoring the chat box, too, um, in the meantime. So, Karen, I'll let you go ahead and add to to my spewing. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I absolutely echo, um, you know, your sentiments that there are still many, many challenges um, out there. But I think that there are some. We're, we're at a turning point, and that people living, um, especially those in the early stage. Um, of the condition are helping um, really turn that corner. I think of the people like the Richard Taylors um, and his meeting of the mind and speaking out and um, Michael Ellenbogen bringing the Purple Angels project um, from the UK uh, so that it has a US presence. Um, I mean, there are a lot of those kinds of um, more organic things popping up that are helping to change thinking. Um, in fact, um, there's a, a great saying that um, that we're trying to get out there more and more, and that's that we have to change minds for people whose minds are changing. And so it's starting to challenge those myths and those ways of thinking. What we're trying to do through the Alliance is simply connect the, all of these different grassroots and other initiatives, you know, together. Um, I mean, everybody would continue doing, you know, the good work that they are doing, but it gives a um, a, a way also of connecting and coalescing, um, you know, that on a uh, a national level, you know, when we need to have clout. So I think it's, you know, kind of working, um, you know, at multi-different um, levels, such as the wonderful groundwork that you all are doing and then these national initiatives and doing it collaboratively, working together for good end results. So with that sure. in mind, Karen, what what are what are some of the things that the listeners um out there can do? You know, you said earlier that voices equals political clout and that's where we know things have to change in Washington and you know, with our focus more on on dementia. So what can what can listeners do to become part of that movement and become a, a cohesive voice. Um, are there things that they can do with your Dementia Action Alliance? Yes, absolutely. We're just now beginning um, to form and organize it. Um, literally, we just um, got the research funding from the Retirement Research Foundation, but people can go on to ccal.org, our website, and there is a, um, a box on the lower part of the home page for the Dementia Action Alliance, and you can click on there. And if you are interested, um, and, and there's all kinds of levels of participation. Um, there's participation just by keeping up with, you know, what's going on, you know, and being informed. 
Um, there are others that may actually want to do things. We're going to be starting a monthly conference call to connect people around the country together. There's discussion and interest in forming dementia-friendly communities and neighborhoods and stores. Um, so there are a lot of things you know to be able to do on a local level. Um, you know, as well as to identify people uh, maybe who would like to speak and do things on a national level. So there's a um, wide range from just listening in to um, rolling up your sleeves. But the way to, to let us know that you're interested is if you can sign up um, by going on to that website and um, letting us know that you, you want to get involved. And can you explain again, CCAL, what does that stand for? Well, it's kind of like AARP. Years ago, it had um, it stood for the Consumer Consortium for Assisted Living, because we started the consumer advocacy nonprofit organization to focus specifically on um, the consumers and prospective consumers of this fast growing new industry. Um, and then we realized that. Person-centered care was the foundation of everything that kind of drove quality, and we expanded our purview to include all of aging services, not just assisted living, and then narrowed down the focus um, to things that were centered on um, person-centeredness. So it's CCAL Advancing Person-Centered Living. Great. Thank you. Um, Karen, I'd like to ask in terms of how how you picked your partners with this. Um, how, was that something that was just kind of fairly natural? Um, was it something you initiated or they initiated or it was just over a cup of coffee or a glass of wine <laughs> that, that it started going? I think it's, I think it's fascinating um, for people to understand sometimes how these things come about. And um, uh, It was easy, very easy because... Um, you know, we've worked at the national level with um, organizations for now coming on 17 years, and um, those who have a a true drive and interest in um, person-centeredness, person-directed, there are a lot of different terms, patient-centered, you'll hear sometimes within the medical community, um, but but those that you know truly are, are mission driven in the, in that sense rise to the surface. So it's very very easy to you know sort of collectively we talk fairly regularly. Sometimes we do projects together, um, and so we have the relationships. And you know it was just saying you know it's it's time. Nobody's sort of serving in that um, leadership role. And there are all kinds of problems. This was after Napa um, had started, and it was clear sort of the direction um, it was taking. And um, it was, if not us, then who? And um, we decided the time was now. Nobody else was going to step in, and we all had similar missions and um, uh, passions about dementia care. So it was, it was actually very easy. In fact, I was hoping um, at least one of my partners, Chris Perna from the Eden Alternative, um, would be able to call in. He's at a um, conference program today, so perhaps he won't won't be able to um, get away to call. Okay. Well, I'm I'm watching the studio, so we'll see. Um, we <laughs> do have a you. comment from from Harry Urban here, and Harry uh, is just a wonderful advocate who is living with the disease. 
And he says, so many of us are speaking out, but so many are still not listening. There are, you know, he says, uh, they are experts and we have uh, dementia. Uh, Changes are being made, but until the experts begin to listen, um, they'll, you know, things aren't going to change. And um, what do you what do you say to that? I mean, I I I see that um, myself with with a lot of professionals. Um, I do I do believe that it's changing, and they're really starting to get it. But again, I I think it's uh, we're in the beginning stages, and I think we need even more more voices out there, people with dementia, um, speaking up and out in terms of of what life is like and how it can be different. And um, what, are, what are your thoughts on that, though, Karen? Oh, I think Harry is right on target. He's spot on. Um, people of position, elected officials, for example, policymakers, um, they may be listening um, but not not being moved to action. And there is a, there is a difference. And to move an elected official to some sort of action um, really requires clout. If they feel that the constituency behind doing something is small and silent, there's no urgency, or they feel like, well, is there that great a need? If there was, if this was really significant and serious, more people would speak out. Um, and you know, that's kind of coming back to the HIV/AIDS community. Although it was fairly small in comparison, they got famous people involved. Um, they got very, very, um, you know, the individuals themselves, their family members. Um, and so I think we have every ability to make a big splash. The Tea Party, um, I looked this morning and I thought, wow, talk about something that kind of has come up pretty quickly, fairly recently, and has had um, significant input. Um, it's estimated that there are approximately 2 million participants in the Tea Party. Well, when you're looking at numbers, there are at least 20 million care partners um, of people living with dementia. So it's just the ability of organizing and channeling that clout effectively. And I think we have a mechanism and we're at a turning point. So the time is now. Well, and Karen, I think that's such an important message. You know, I think so often for many of us, and I hear this from a lot of caregivers, first of all, you feel like you're doing this all alone, and you don't recognize that there are millions of, you know, comrades out there who are caregiving along with you. And also we feel like, well, what can I do? I'm just one person. I can't get Congress to do something. I can't get, you know, this law passed or whatever, but what you're saying is if you come together in these groups like your Dementia Action Alliance, you can actually start to move mountains, correct? Absolutely. You can make a huge difference, and that's, you know, coming back to the power of the Internet and these virtual communities, um, it's not even necessarily that people physically have to come together. Um, and, and we love the idea because we do a lot of um, monthly conference calls just for our own brainstorming purposes. And there is such um, power and um, engagement by being able to have multiple heads and ideas sharing, people sharing their different ideas. Um, there's that synergy. And, um, 
you know, again, you need to have a way to organize it. Um, but that's it's really very exciting. Um, you know, we're at a, a place where a place and a time that we can make change. And um, I, hopefully I look forward to having um, both of you all involved in this as well. Absolutely. Count me in. <laughs> yep. All right, yep. you're counted. <laughs> yeah, you, you know me. I you have a hard time keeping me away. <laughs> so I would, I, would, I would love, absolutely love to be involved. Um, well, this has just been just a, a fascinating um, conversation. Now, when it comes to the Dementia Action Alliance, are, are, is it only for professionals or is it for anybody and everybody? What's, what's what kind of criteria do you have? There is no criteria, and it's it's truly a grassroots, so it's um, mostly focused on individuals and their family members and other advocates. Um, professionals are welcome to be involved. There is no cost. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, there are all kinds of ways to be involved from just plugging in and kind of being informed as to what's going on. Um, to actually, you know, getting more involved in doing things. Um, it's whatever your interests and abilities are. Um, and again, that gateway to um, let us know that you're interested is by going on to www.ccal.org. There's a very simple system to just, um, you know, put in an email address and we will follow up with you. Well, I, I I love that you know you're taking this approach to being all inclusive because um, I, you know, since day one, since I kind of threw my hat in the ring with that, I I have felt very strongly that we need to hear all voices um, in order to be uh, effective in terms of our our change of culture, and because um, we're all coming from different perspectives and you know, have different thoughts, um, see different things, and impact things in different ways, have different skills. And I, you know, I just think it's a really a beautiful, beautiful thing that um, you're developing at the level that you're developing it at. And so, you know, I want to thank you and your organization and um, Plantry and, and the Eden Alternative for for stepping up and taking this on because it's a huge thing that I think will be so far-reaching and, and really a beautiful um, thing for all of us. I, I don't see any downsides to it, so oh, have my blessing. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> there was um, a study recently published in the New England Journal on Medicine that noted that dementia now costs the U.S. Um, more than cancer or heart disease. And, um, Sherry, I think you were mentioning that earlier, that um, – you know, both of those are very significant, but we actually now spend more money on dementia. But despite the high expenditures, the quality of dementia care in this country is fragmented and not uniformly good. There are certainly places and practices um, of excellence, um, but wouldn't it be wonderful if that was the um, standard experience rather than... Um, you know, the exception. So, you know, hopefully we'll be able to, to make these kinds of changes. Um, we know that the numbers, the baby boomers, boomers are growing. The aging sector is the fastest um, growing segment of our population. And, um, you know, I think we can come together. All fixes don't have to involve federal 
um, monies. You know, we can take on these things ourselves and and handle it um, the way that we think it needs to happen. So truly a, an organic um, effort. And, and thank you for letting us talk about it this morning. Well, it's just been fascinating to listen to you. I'm so, so pleased that I'm part of Lori's program and I get to meet great people like you doing great things. Uh, well, thank you, and ditto for your good works. <laughs> it takes a village. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, Karen, we would love to to have you back as things progress with this um, and and learn more um, as to to what the alliance is going to be up to and how it's kind of taking shape and and gaining momentum. Um, I think it'll be a really uh, interesting interesting thing to watch over time here and um looking forward to um all the progress that I know that you're Thank gonna you make. Thank you so much. Us. Would love to come back whenever whenever we can. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, okay. Do you want to give your website out one more time? Certainly. The website is www.ccal.org. Very short and simple. Wonderful. Well, listen, I know you've got to run because um, you've got a, another interview, I believe, <laughs> I believe after this. And, all good. Um, yep, all, all very, very good. So get out there and spread the word. And, again, thank you so much for, for spending an hour with us. That's a lot of time, and we really appreciate you um, sharing that with with our audience here, um, all you're doing. So keep up the great My work. My pleasure. Thank you both very much. Bye-bye. 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 Uh, before I go ahead and pull in our um, next guests here, I just want to, again, um, do a, a kind of a mid-program highlight of things. And um, if you didn't hear our last show on the 12th, we talked about uh, initiatives and we had lots of caring hands on, which is a, just a great, great resource for people who are trying to coordinate care. And um, I can't say enough good things um, about them, but uh, you'll, I think you'll be very interested in listening to that show and um, going to their site and developing kind of your own care community that is, is nice and private, um, but yet so beneficial uh, in terms of, of helping you provide good care. Our next radio show is going to be about kind of technology and relaxation a combination. So I think it'll be a really interesting show in and of itself. And um, I want to apologize that the last dementia chats did not take place. I got some food poisoning. <laughs> I just was not up to doing that show. Um, so the last uh, dementia chats that we have in the iCarves, uh, archives is really about building dementia-friendly communities and what is it and how can people help. And our experts living with dementia just did a brilliant job giving examples of what it's like and how people can do things differently uh, to allow them to live um, purposeful and independent lives. Our, our next Dementia Chats will be coming up on the 26th, right before the holidays, and um, People always have a ton of questions about how to work the holidays. And so come and join the conversation. I know it will be definitely an interesting one. Uh, during the, this past week, we've had a few different blog articles. One was written by our intern, Michelle, and it was about connecting generations connecting generations and she just got lots of great 
comments um, about that article. So I would encourage you to to go ahead and read that. There's also an article um, about this whole person-centered movement with care. And, and so if you didn't get all the details, you can go to our blog and get the links and things to be able to uh, to learn more about the Dementia Action um, Alliance that is being developed. Uh, the Purple Angel Ambassadors, uh, there were 50 um ambassadors um appointed this past saturday and i'm proud to say that i'm i'm one of those uh so that's pretty exciting and for those of you that don't know the purple angel that is the new global symbol for dementia and um if you want to learn more please feel free to to contact me on that a uh, couple other things that I just want to mention in the Twin Cities here in Minnesota, they're going to have a um, a poetry party, and it's going to be at the Minneapolis Institute of Arts, December 12th. And you can find more information on the blog. That post was dated November 15th. And then Tipa Snow, I, I just love her to death. She is having a couple of great events in Atlanta, Georgia, that are going to be held at the Historic Academy of Medicine at Georgetown Tech. Um, she's got one January 21st, which will be six credits, and I believe that one's on best practices um, for dementia care. And then January 22nd and 23rd, um, she is going to be talking about her her GEM program. And I want to say that one's like 12 credits. And then she also has another one March 21st that's going to be talking about denial. So if you're looking for more information, um, you know, just go to TIPA's website and um, sign up for that. I, I, she, never, um, she never lets you down. She's always filled with great, great information. Again, for those of you that are looking for an Alzheimer's Association anywhere in the world, go to Alzheimer's Disease International. If your person with dementia likes music, um, or even if you're not sure if they like music, I would highly recommend that you go to Coral Health. Um, they actually have an app called Music First that you can download as well. Um, but wonderful information. And if you're looking for... Um, Puzzles, you can go to puzzles with me that are um, oversized um, puzzles with uh, not as many numbers, uh, easy to manipulate, um, beautiful adults pictures with those. And then, of course, there's the Jiminy Wicket program, which is an intergenerational game that's great for schools and assisted livings and memory care um, to work together. And uh, last, again, I'm just going to mention the Tau study with the uh, Alzheimer's Studies group. So um, I thank you all for listening. The second half of the show is going to be uh, just a really fun one and one that is very, very dear to my heart because we're going to be talking about uh, memory cafes, Alzheimer's cafes, and now some are calling them dementia cafes as well. And so we've got a, a great lineup for you. I'm going to first introduce Carol Larkin. Uh, Carol is nationally known as an expert in Alzheimer's and related dementia care. She is a certified geriatric care manager who specializes in helping families um, with Alzheimer's and related dementia. Now, Carol um, has been involved in the, the Memory Cafe movement. Um, she consults with people both in person and phone and, and also does some, some video um, uh, 
training and and consulting as well with her company called Third Age Services. How are you doing today, Carol? Hi, Lori. Thanks for inviting me. Good. I'm I'm so glad to have you here. I'm going to go ahead and introduce you to next, and um, and then we've got a couple other people on here. So we'll we'll get everybody introduced, then we'll get this conversation rolling. Um, next, I want to introduce Yuta Lugvig, and Yuta grew up in Copenhagen in Denmark, and she's an artist, an educator, and a counselor. Since 1994, uh, Dr. Lugvig um, has worked with the elderly especially those with severe memory loss. She's written books, she's done workshops and training programs that have helped numerous families and caregivers develop a better approach and skills to improve the lives of everyone involved who are dealing with dementia. In 2008, she opened the Alzheimer's Cafe in the Northern Hemisphere um, that's in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and she kind of set the standard known as what she calls the American model of the Alzheimer's Cafes. And um, we'll, we'll get to discussing exactly what uh, what's the difference between the American and the European model and the Alzheimer's Cafe and the Memory Cafe um, as we get into the conversation. How are you doing today, uh, Yuda? Oh, I'm doing great. Great. Well, I'm glad you were... Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad uh, I'm glad you were able to pull yourself away from your plumber. I know you were doing some house house <laughs> issues there. I know what that's like because I had a fire and I it seemed like I was constantly dealing with the contractor around my house right. there for a while. Um, before before I uh, start uh, asking questions of the two of you, I also want to in, uh, introduce a couple other guests that we have. And um, with us today are John and Virginia Sweeney, who have been active members with Arthur's Memory Cafe for some time now. In fact, um, they were one of the stars of a KSTP news feature done on our Memory Cafe, and they have just been such precious gems um, and additions uh, to our membership. So I, I just I want to welcome uh, John and Virginia. How are you doing today? Virginia first. Oh, I'm doing fine. Well, and good. And she's doing fine, I'm doing fine. <laughs> okay. Can't well, complain we're, about we're, anything. Well, good, good. I'm going to go ahead and introduce uh, Ed and Judy then, and then we'll we'll get our conversation started here. Um, Ed and uh, Judy Meehan are also uh, members of Arthur's um, Memory Cafe, and and Judy was a registered nurse with an advanced degree in geriatric nursing, and she had spent her working career um, first in hospitals and then for many, many years in nursing home management. Um, Judy and Ed have four kids, and they also have um, six grandchildren. They are... um, uh, again, a wonderful addition to our memory cafe. Now, with Judy's dementia, um, due to her close relationship with her other nurses, they actually identified um, her cognitive issues early on. And so Judy was diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment um, about four years ago, and she's been receiving treatment and medication, um, which seems to be successful in terms of slowing down the disease. And um, she is now 
in the early onset um, stage. And so, um, Ed and Judy, welcome. How are you today? Hi, we're, we're glad to be part of your show. We're very interested, and of course, we use John and Virginia as sort of mentors, so we're glad that they're on too. <laughs> <laughs> well, wonderful. <laughs> well, what I'm going to start out with here is I, I'm going to, uh, I think I'll pose the question first to to Yuta, because Yuta really has been uh, a leader in the pact here in terms of bringing over the Alzheimer's Cafe um, to to New Mexico and has just been such a, such a brilliant force in all of this. So, Yuta, can you tell people why you felt it was important um, and, and what you saw as the difference between the Alzheimer's and the memory cafes themselves? Uh, actually, <clears throat> excuse me, when I first came across the idea of the Alzheimer's Cafe, um, I didn't really look into it all that much. It was the, just the title alone uh, just hit me. Uh, this was absolutely perfect because after so many years of working with this community, I you know, always felt there was something lacking, and it was the social component of how we deal with Alzheimer's. Uh, we are so focused on on the medical, we're focused on the therapeutic, uh, and uh, and we get stuck in that, and people don't have a chance to really to laugh and just enjoy themselves and just be. So... Uh, it was only later after I had actually opened our cafe in Santa Fe that I started looking into what else was going on in the world and discovered, you know, there are cafes in South America, there are cafes in in Spain and Portugal and, and Greece. Uh, I couldn't read it. <laughs> all, all I could, all I recognized was Alzheimer's, okay? And actually, uh, so I didn't even know about memory cafes, by the way, either. It was only mm-hmm. in that, you know, in that second round of, going through research and stuff that I came across that. And my feeling about that is really more semantics than anything else. Uh, Alzheimer's is, is a word that's recognized all over the globe. And memory is an English word. And I like the idea that we are part of an international movement of Alzheimer's cafes. Um, memory cafes are come in all all forms as do Alzheimer's cafes. Um, we when I started ours, I just decided that it, because of my work, I knew that the the real crucial thing was to give people a chance to just totally be free of anything that had to do with the disease, except if they wanted to bring it up, and just have a good time and be together. Uh, so when I looked at uh, uh, not all of them, but many of the British cafes, for instance, do a combination of what I would consider a workshop and and a, a social hour. You know, they'll do a presentation, a serious presentation on the disease or caregiving issues, and then they'll have a coffee time afterwards. And that, to me, was still buying into the old thing of treating this disease, not the people. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense, and I know for for our cafe, I mean that's um, you know we're very aligned with with where you're at, and and initially I thought we were going to be a little bit more programmatic, um, but what we heard from people was that they really like just having that me time, that time to be able to be with friends, and be unstructured, and um, 
So our group actually has gotten fairly protective in terms of <laughs> how much they're willing <laughs> to, too. Mine too. <laughs> to, to give up. Um, Carol, how about your group? Can you tell us how you got involved in the in the movement itself, and and what what are your groups like? Uh, how I got involved with the movement actually was a uh, function of the Alzheimer's Association here in Dallas uh, giving up their early stage groups. Uh, they call them the trailblazers, and uh, with all the changes in the local um, the local administration, if you will, of the Alzheimer's uh, Association, uh, the trailblazers got left by the wayside. And we thought, we meaning a bunch of professionals plus a um, an actual caregiver who um, she and her husband who had the disease. Um, were part of the Trailblazers, and she was looking for something else to replace Trailblazers. And uh, we got together and came up with uh, Memory Cafe. Um, we didn't even know of Ute. Uh Now we do. Hi, you. Um, Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. So, Carol? Yeah. Carol, this is Sherry. I, I'm curious, you know, for those listeners um, who may not know what happens at a memory cafe, can you kind of take us through, you know, how often you meet, um, how frequently, and what time of day is usually best to, to hold these, and what what do you do during the memory cafe time? Um, we we uh, meet once a month. Um, it happens to be on the first Tuesday of the month. We meet at... Um, 10 to 11.30, and we pick that time so that uh, the people who attended, if they wanted to go to lunch together and continue on, they did, and that's what they do. Um, they just carry it on themselves, which we thought was just marvelous. Um, ours is completely and totally social, and the reason why we did that was because uh, around here in Dallas-Fort Worth, there are plenty of opportunities by all sorts of people to um, to learn about uh, Alzheimer's and other dementias. Uh, we've got educational uh, opportunities out the yazoo, if you will. Um, so we wanted to be just social. Um, much like you, uh, we just wanted to uh, let people uh, let it be and just be regular people in in a um, sort of environment that um, allow, allows acceptance. So that's, that's pretty much it. We're social. We play games. We talk. We drink coffee, whatever. And, so, and you as well, Carol? Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Have you, you found that you... singing also really works, especially a cappella? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, they, <laughs> we are very proud. They have taken it and run with it. Actually, I was late to the last one, and they started without me. I think that's fabulous. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the cafes really empower people. Yes. And, yes, and, you uh, really do. 
I've seen the same thing. We've we've had offshoot groups. I mean, they just got together on their own to do a walking group once a week, uh, and actually it was more like a walking and just go to brunch and more brunch than walking group, but it doesn't matter, you know, and right. uh, an art group and other things too, and meet socially on the side and have made friends, yeah. you know, because of the cafe. Yeah. And I'm talking about people with dementia. Right. Actually developing right. friendship stuff, so very crucial. And can I interject something really quickly? Sure. Uh, we have both Carol and I uh, and John McFadden also up in Minnesota. We all keep track of all the cafes around the country. So any of you who are listening in, if you want to try to find a cafe in your neighborhood, uh, you can go on alltimerscafe.com. Um, or you can go to Carol's website, and we have lists, and we stay in touch with each other whenever something new comes up because we have new ones coming up all the time, and we are just thrilled. Yeah. Yeah, what we also are. To add? Can I add one last thing, and then, I, and then I'm done, promise. Uh, <laughs> we have locally spawned uh, another eight cafes, so that's pretty cool. There's nine cafes in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area, and we call them neighborhood cafes because they really are to let people come in their neighborhood. That's it. Oh, that's wonderful. That's that's fantastic. I know with uh, McFadden's, you know, they've got. I don't. I, I've lost count on how many they have in the Fox Valley Project, but I think they were over nine um, as well, right. and, and still expanding. So ours. In um, Roseville, we have two that meets back-to-back. We have people that come all the time, but um, so far no one else has gotten theirs off off the ground. I would like to um, pull in um, some of our members here to talk about, you know, the value that they see um, in these cafes. And so I'm going to kick it off to um, John in Virginia first. If you can tell us, um, tell our audience, in terms of how you found out about the cafe and were you hesitant at all when you first came? Virginia just pointed at me (laughs) to talk, so here I am. Uh, Actually, the article in the Minneapolis Tribune, I don't know, was probably almost a year ago. I had seen it but didn't read it, and our daughter-in-law called us. She had read it and called our attention to it. And what was the second part of the question, Laurie? Uh, and you know, were you a little bit nervous at all um, in terms of um, in terms of coming to the group at all? What was your what was your feeling when you first when you first decided to to try it? Uh, I was, I guess, somewhat concerned uh, for Virginia. Would it would it be frightening to her? And so I. I kept an eye on her, which I have been doing for 64 years, but this was (laughs) exceptional. And uh, she was smiling and seemed to be happy, and that kind of put my mind at ease then. Wonderful. I'm going to pose the same question to um, Ed and Judy. Um, How did you guys hear about the cafe, and were you hesitant at all when you first came? Hi, Lori. Um, I'd like to just quickly press preface that with saying Judy and I are fairly new to the J. Arthur's Memory Cafe. I think we probably started attending in about early August 
Um, we came about it because there was some advertising in the local paper and TV, and our oldest son uh, picked up on us and sent us a link. So we checked it out quick and said, well, let's see what that's all about. And um, I would say we were a little crepid when we first came over. Uh, we didn't know what we were going to find or we didn't know what to expect. <laughs> but um, I think uh, the biggest thing I would like to pass on to people is that how almost immediately we were assimilated into the group as friends and co-partners, <laughs> and it was just great. Um, we so enjoy the casual atmosphere, the sitting around and discussing and talking. And, and yes, sometimes we're very off-subject, but during that time, sometimes a subject will come up, like sleeping or driving, and all of a sudden we have all this expertise surrounding us of what's happening in other homes and the, the caregivers and their problems and the subjects. Uh, and so we just thoroughly enjoy being there, and every... Every session is a learning session for us, and it's just great uh, for people that would be listening to your show and haven't, you know, attended one. I could couldn't uh, emphasize too much that they should come and join us for coffee sometime. Well, yeah. just sharing, I want to ask. Um, I want to ask both you and Judy and John and Virginia, but I'll start with you first, Ed. You and Judy. You know, my um, my parents have very dear friends that they've been friends with now for over 40 years, done so many things together, traveled and all this. And the the wife, the, the friends, um, the spouse has um, early uh, onset Alzheimer's. And they're not talking about it a lot. They're not sharing a lot. Um, her husband is starting to decline in health. You can see it. And my parents want to be helpful and supportive, but he won't talk about it. So I was hoping you could share with our listeners how you and Judy have, you know, talked about it with friends and how you've gotten involved with the, the uh, cafes and how it's really helped you um, during this period. Uh, we, we feel that the cafe has really helped us because denial is just a – I think a human nature thing in this, uh, we've discussed at some of the memory cafes how, you know, if you run into a person with diabetes, uh, you'll just uh, start asking questions about their treatment and how are they, or if you run into a person with cancer, uh, how are they doing, do they receive treatments, but if you run into someone with Alzheimer, um, most people don't know what to say, and I think the biggest thing the memory cafe has helped us with is resources and information which Judy and I have uh, diligently passed on to family members, which which brings it all out in the open. It's nothing to be ashamed about. Uh, we have probably too many listeners that think uh, a person with Alzheimer is no longer coherent, and yet there's people at the restaurant and in church and down the, down the desk in the offices that are in early onset, and they don't even realize it. So... Um, Denial is a subject that needs more attention and more discussion, I would say. I don't know if that answers your question. No, that's wonderful. And John and Virginia, what about your experience? You know, how have you spoken about this to friends and family and others, and how has the cafe helped you? You want to take that? <laughs> I'll let John answer that for me. <laughs> he, he talks better than I do. Or more. <laughs> Actually, uh, we... <laughs> 
As uh, I had said in the video interview, I was in denial for, I think, over a year and then just kind of realized that it was uh, it was a hand that we were dealt and we were going to play it. And we have been very open to our friends, and, uh, and of course our family is very supportive, but it, it is uh, difficult, as Ed pointed out, because there's so much misunderstanding. You, you wonder if you're going to lose your friends if you tell them uh, what the truth is. But I think it's uh, helpful, uh, the Memory Cafe, uh, is a place where you can kind of let your hair down and and not uh, feel that you'll be ostracized or uh, looked at kind of funny. And I think that experience kind of helps you deal with the non-cafe uh, group of friends. Be a little more confident to uh, tell it as it is. Oh, I love that. I love that it gives you kind of empowers you, right? It gives you that courage to go out in the world and be an advocate for this disease. Well, and we, we, we have. We have we, go ahead. I was just gonna. I was just gonna mention we have one guest uh, who's been coming since uh, the first day of the cafe. So that's like over five years now. And uh, when when a new person walks in, half the time she'll say, "Oh, I'm Sandra. I have Alzheimer's. Do you have Alzheimer's too?" And and of course, a few people are taken aback, but it also has really relieved a lot of people. It's right out in the open, and she's grinning. You know, uh-huh. she's totally come to terms with it, and we just go with it. Right. That's great. And well, you can if, be more. If, this is John again. You can be. I think you can be more relaxed once the so-called secret is out and you don't uh, exactly. have to hide anything. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's, Lori, it's the just other... really... <laughs> oh, go ahead, Ed. Well, Lori, I just want to make a quick comment. One of the other things that transpires at the Memory Cafe that I think is just terrific is that we hear from and discuss with not only the other caregivers, but... Um, sometimes the people with the dementia who normally don't feel comfortable to talk, uh, uh, yes, maybe it takes a few seconds for them to uh, 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 comprise their words, but we hear things from the people themselves, and that's a real learning experience. Oh, it definitely is is a major learning experience for all of us, and that's you know, one of the things I love so much about my job is being able to talk with people who have dementia because their insights are so powerful. And um, and, and a lot of times they don't even know what they're telling us um, because it's just, it, you know, it's just a thought. Um, and they don't, they don't realize the impact even that it can have on us and how it can help us change and, and care um, better. Um, and be able to share that knowledge with one another. I, I just, there has not been a memory cafe that I have attended where I haven't learned something new, you know, from one of the members. And, um, you know, people always say, you know, for facilitators, you know, who do they have to be and do they have to be doctors and nurses or social workers? And, no, they just have to be people that want to learn because you'll never stop learning with this disease. It's constantly changing and it really is about being um attentive and and listening and sharing and being vulnerable and and just you know being friends um 
other other times I you know I I leave and my cheeks hurt from laughing so much, and it's like what a wonderful feeling that is, <laughs> you know, right. um, from stories stories shared. Uh, Carol, are are the members of memories of Arthur's Memory Cafe are, are those kind of similar stories to what you hear at at your cafes in Texas? Oh yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I'm going to visit two new ones tomorrow just to see what they're up to. And, you know, they're held in um, in a variety of places. We have some in senior centers. We have some in churches. We've got uh, one or two that the assisted livings are handling. They're just everywhere, you know. Um, and we, what you're hearing and doing at uh, Arthur's is, you know, very much the same here which is just amazing and cool. Mm-hmm. How about you, Yuda? Are are these stories similar to what, what you hear and see as well in yours in Mexico? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, and actually, I, let me comment on something you said a minute ago. You said that people don't have to be nurses or doctors or whatever. Uh, I find that, that uh, it may be really important that they're not. Because we are so focused on the medical, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We're so focused on the medical aspects of these, these diseases, and uh, I think the one the one big bonus to the cafes is that that we do just the opposite. We focus I, on the you know emotional and and we focus on people themselves and not yeah. their diseases. I agree. I agree. I, I, I think that that's a really good point that you bring up because uh, this is not a medical model. And and there are some that are, you know. Um, and, and, again, I think that's one of the beauties with the Alzheimer's Cafe, the Memory Cafe. Some of them are starting to call dementia cafes. Um, it's not about fitting in a box. It's about meeting the need in your community. And every exactly. community's needs is going to be a little bit different. And so it's not about an ownership thing. It's about sharing knowledge and philosophies and allowing communities to develop what is needed within their own community. Correct. Um, Yuta, this is Sherry. I have a question for you. As our listeners yes. are out there um and, you know, maybe they're interested in either starting a memory cafe in their community or, you know, um, getting in touch with you about that. How, how does that work? What are the things they should be thinking about if they wanted to start a memory cafe in their community? Well, actually, if, if they go on alzheimerscafe.com, there is a page devoted to starting your own cafe, and it's, it's actually very simple. It's, it's the simplest, the cheapest, the easiest project you have ever embarked upon and the most profound. Uh, you, re, you need a space. Uh, you need, of course, you need people. But, and, a, and a few snacks. You do not need uh, massive funding for this. Uh, you do need people who are dedicated to actually being there. That, 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 I think that might be the biggest hitch for most people to find uh, people who can show up every single month. And uh, my back to the, the uh, locations, um, my personal, I, I went out of my way to find something that was not associated with uh, any, any sort of medical or elder care because I had no models. You know, it was just me. 
and uh, right. and uh, and it was actually difficult. I I did look into doing it in actual cafes as they do in Seattle, which I think is a great idea. You know, uh, but the reason is that that does exactly what we want to get people away from. Now, with some with some of the care facilities that run their cafes. I would be a little concerned that it's not just another happy hour. You know what I mean? It, uh-huh. it, to me, it really needs to be apart and separate from. That doesn't mean that you can't do it in a care, a care facility. I'm working with one right now here in Santa Fe. We're trying to open uh, an Alzheimer's cafe in their independent living area. Uh-huh. You know, and which I Carol- can help everybody. Right. Carol, what about your experience? What are the, either the challenges or the tips that you would give to people who want to start a cafe in their community? Um, as Jess says, I think the most difficult thing, and, and I also have a, a toolkit is what I call it on my website, which is, you know, very similar to the youth. Um, the most difficult thing by far is um, marketing, if you will to let people know. Um, It sounds like Arthur um, does uh, stuff in the newspaper and ads and so on. Um, We don't have the budget for that. So uh, we go to churches uh, in the area. We do use free ads in some of the neighborhood papers. Um, Of course, word of mouth. Uh, amongst the uh, professionals actually uh, makes a difference because those professionals will um, actually tell their uh, clients, people like me, um, about it and they attend. So um, it it is a real challenge to get the word out. The rest of it, uh, as you said, is, is really simple. Get a place. Um, we find sponsors for the uh, for the snacks and the coffee, uh, so it doesn't cost a dime really. And uh, you know, space we don't we don't rent anything. We just use free stuff. So um, my my tip is market the heck out of it. <laughs> right. I'm- I'm going to just jump in for a second um, just to clarify on Arthur's. We don't have a marketing budget per se, um, but what we do do is we put it into the events calendar, which is free. Um, right. on the on the uh, you know in the newspapers the local newspapers we were really lucky this summer to get um a couple of um features done by TV which took quite a while one was on me but it brought up the um memory cafe and then the other one was just on the memory cafe so on the alzheimer speaks um website um we do actually have a um a page where it's really easy to be able to get to um, everybody's different information, and it's just on the About page, and it's called the Memory and Alzheimer's Cafes. And there we also have listed a little bit on the history. There's actually the the feature that was done by KSTP where people can hear um, uh, more on, you know, what it's like and hear the voices of, of members. Um, and then it has our mentors in the U.S. and in the U.K., and then there's a cafe toolkit, so you can click there to get to um, 
you know, uh, Carol's toolkit for building a neighborhood memory cafe, Yuda's. There's guidelines that were sent to us um, from over in the UK. Um, there's the beautiful article that was done on Arthur's by Rosen, uh, Gail Rosenblum with the Star and Tribune that um, that um, article actually had like 16 people show up the very next session that drove uh, many of them, you know, an hour one way to get to us, which just kind of shows the need. Um, and then there's also some um, free puzzles and some different tools to engage people. So a little bit of, of, of everything to try to be able to get um, resources there. And our um, resource directory on Alzheimer's Speaks, we're also tracking um the memory cafes and the Alzheimer's cafes, we don't have them all inputted because our system is more than just a list. Um, and so uh, Deb over in um, Sweden has actually been contacting people. And one of the things that is great that she is doing, um, she's known as the um, Cafe Catalyst. Um, she will actually help um, memory cafes um, set up a web page so that they have some exposure and they can be in the directory and it'll it'll give them a little bit more web presence because that's such a big connective factor for people. And, um, you know, like we've all said here, we've done these pretty much on a shoestring budget. Um, our memory cafe is funded primarily by one company, ACR Healthcare Group, um, who donates um, the space and allows us beautiful space in their coffee shop that's um, um, enclosed so it's private where we meet and then they supply us with treats. We tried doing the sponsorship thing and we found that it was more work um, than it was worth and so um, ACR said that they would just go ahead and pick that up for us which was so so sweet and I, I loved Carol you talking about all the different locations of where these can be, and I, I've met with many on that as well. And, um, you know, it's not about a location. It's really about the camaraderie and um, just developing that, that sense of belonging for people again that's that's so beautiful. Um, they, they put me in tears uh, sometimes. I'm just so touched by being involved with these groups. And I'm sure, um, Yuta and Carol, you get the same experience uh, that I do. It, it's just a, uh, it's something I can't imagine not being a part of. Exactly. Yep. Yes. Yep. Ditto. Uh, can I add something? Sure. Uh, my ahead, new Yuta. book uh, yeah, my new book is just off the press. It's called The Alzheimer's Creativity Project, and it has lots of ideas in there that you guys can take advantage of. There's a, a very, very small sneak peek on the website, by the way, and I will also let you and Lori and Carol know when it's when I get a, get its own dedicated website set up, okay? Oh, wonderful. Right. That, would be, that would be great. We should... Um, if you want to, once you get that set up, let me know because we'll add you to kind of the, the cafe toolkit for people to be Absolutely. able to go there. Yeah, yeah. That would be yeah. another wonderful, wonderful um, resource. And then, of course, you'll want to get it listed as a book in the resource directory as well. Um, you got I'm going to throw, throw a question back to, um, back to our members here. Um, 
And, and I'm going to start this one with um, Ed and Judy. Um, since you're, you're newer in the group, and I, which is harder hard to believe for me because you just seem like you've been part of the group forever. Um, and I think that's one of the beauties of of our group is that um, everyone is just, I think, so nicely embraced. Um, is there anything that we're not doing? that you would like to see us do and you know don't worry about shaming us because again these the, the whole purpose of the cafes is to meet the needs and so um it would be great to hear ideas of what you'd like to you know see us do that maybe we're not doing or do differently well i think we could answer that kind of by using ourselves as an example um almost shame on us you know here we are we were involved in this disease and we have a we have a wonderful neurologist uh, but why didn't we get on the web and start researching alzheimer it's sort of a duh you know why didn't we until we learned about the memory cafe so my biggest thing would be to use whatever means you have to get the the word out about these because I believe when we first started just a few months ago, we had enough couples coming that we actually split the group in two, which tells us that there's tons of people out there like us that uh, would be interested. So I think the encouragement I would give would be get the word out, but then what we get out of the Memory Cafe is the resources uh, that you would never find, in a, and no disrespect, but in a medical office. Um, what we're learning at the Memory Cafe is just a completely different world from what uh, the medical field has to offer, really, and that's what's really been helping us. I don't know if that answers your question. No, that's that's wonderful, and it's it's nice to know that we are providing something different. You know, it would be nice to work uh, more tightly with clinics, and we've tried um, to get doctors to refer people, and there there seems to be a stigma there, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and I don't know if uh, if the other cafes have, have found that, um, but because it's not a medical model, there seems to be some apprehension. And, and Carol, I think that was you giggling. So um, have you... What we found, really, in not only cafes, but just in all aspects, save the medical aspects, is, you know, um, doctors in general think it's, you know, it's not their deal. Um, You know, they're there to prescribe medicine, and then once the initial prescription of medicine is, you know, there, um, the involvement with their patient or, you know, our our uh, member uh, decreases, you know, exponentially because, hey, there's nothing left for the doctor to do. They've done their deal. So their interest, you know, plummets. And so, so that's a real long way of saying, yep, Lori, same deal. <laughs> how how about you, Yuda? Have you have you seen it's resistance the same, from the exactly medical? Exactly the same. Yes. Okay. Even psychiatrists. You have yes. to right. You know, a, a, per, a person with dementia walks into an office and is either immediately uh, prescribed uh, Aricept or Exelon and send them away. And mm-hmm. it, you know, not 
there may not be anything wrong with these uh, these medications, but they don't work with all the dementias. And very often they don't do enough follow-through to discover that until much later. So I, I'm totally with you. Uh, there, we, are, we are filling, and I do believe that we, we have a totally profound movement. We are filling a, a huge gap, I feel. Yeah. Well, yeah. and one of the things that, that I have found is people say, well, you know, you're, you're giving counseling and you're not licensed, you know. And and I said, you know, this is this is about camaraderie. This is about support. Um, you know, we're not giving medical advice here. That's not what this is. But um, you know, that term, you know, anything therapeutic um, is is viewed as a medical model. And there's got to be a degree, and there's got to be you know rules to follow. But that's not you know life. Um, and and I think what cafes are about is about getting people to feel comfortable living life with dementia again and and getting back to that normal um because sometimes you know people wander in who have really lost you know that normal that normalcy in their life um and those connections and i think it's so powerful um john and virginia how about you is there anything that you would like to see done differently um, and you can go ahead and use our, our memory cafe as an example or anything that you really, really like that you'd hate to see us ever get rid of. <laughs> she pointed at me again. <laughs> She's rather shy. Um, actually, I think the the model that we have uh, works very well. I might like to share, uh, if I can just revisit some of the benefits, and one that uh, crossed my mind When we visited with our uh, neurologist, he tells us that it is not uncommon for the caregiver to be either a reluctant caregiver or in some form of denial, and I think that's just because of fear of embarrassment. And I think that this is one of the benefits, because it was for me anyhow, of the Memory Cafe, is that kind of dilutes that a bit, and it, it maybe would help people overcome that denial and uh, and fear of embarrassment. Very, I, well, I think, think very true. And I, I think that's a, that's a great um, segue into one question I had. You know, I won't name names here, but I spoke to, um, to, to a gentleman who's involved in, in dementia care and has been for years. And his comment when I asked him about memory cafes he said, I don't know if there's a clear benefit. I don't really know if it's worth an organized effort. I know. We're all going to be jumping on the bandwagon on this one. So I want to start with Carol, but I want to have each one, of our, each one of our guests today answer that gentleman's rebuttal. Let's give him a rebuttal. So, Carol, what would you say to that comment? I would say, you know, unless you've gone, you don't know. Don't make judgments until you show up. Okay. Right. Yuda, how about you? What what benefits? Yeah, I, well, it's like questioning the benefits of laughter, of music, of anything that gives us pleasure. You know, why the hell should we deprive people with these diseases pleasure? Right. Right. 
And Ed and Judy, you know, you've talked about some of the benefits, but tell me, you know, how has this really changed your lives or, or have you seen a difference, you know, in in things by going to the cafes? Well, I can almost going to be a puppet and repeat what John just said because his major word there with caregiver, and you talk about treating the person with the disease, but I think in the memory cafe, in a very subtle manner, we're treating the caregiver. Um, the resources we're finding and just the experiences that we can exchange with each other sitting there laughing and drinking coffee are educational beyond belief. Um, I'm not sure if that's the answer you were looking for, but I think in part of our conversation we've talked about the disease, but the Memory Cafe, to me, the importance has been about the different experiences I'm sharing with the caregivers. Does that answer a question? Yeah, no, I think that's great. And, yeah. Don and Virginia, you've, you've talked about all the great benefits, but how have you seen this make a difference in your community? I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm... Uh, don't completely oh. understand the question. Yeah, give it to me again. Sure. I mean, you know, talk a little bit about your personal benefit of being involved in the cafes, but also what are the benefits that you're seeing of the participants? How has this changed the lives of the people who attend? Well, I think uh, probably the observation I have is that people are able to just be open and not worry about any form of embarrassment because we're all kind of in the same boat. And a term that Virginia used in the television interview, uh, it helped her because she said that she felt that she wasn't alone in in uh, having in the illness. So I think those are some of the benefits that uh, we get out of it. Great. Well, I'm going to definitely send a link on this show, Lori, to that gentleman who made that comment. <laughs> Good. Well, and and, and I, I would like to add that one of the biggest benefits that I see is because I think sometimes we can get lost in this caregiving journey where we lose our relationships. I see relationships bloom and people just relax in terms of being able to be a couple or being a, you know, um, a mother and a daughter, or a son and a, you know, you know, it doesn't make any difference. But just being able to have that relationship back without feeling like it's um, a burden or um, overwhelming, but that there's support and that this is this is just a normal stage in life. And I've now found support that allows me to to have my new normal again. And I, and I think that that's um, really, really important. I do want to pull in. We do have a caller on the line from a 717 number. Um, are you still with us, a 717? Did you want to make a comment or ask a question? Sometimes oh, people yeah. call in. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a memory cafe in uh, Lidditz, Pennsylvania. I started one. Um, and I've advertised all over in the newspapers, um, online, in the shopping stores. I put brochures up, and I've had um, I have a small group right now, and it, I started it because I was diagnosed a couple of years ago with Alzheimer's, and I found out there was nothing for the people that have the disease. So um, we get together, and the caregivers are there also. And we just talk about whatever we want. 
but now the hospital has contacted me, and uh, I met Harry Urban, and him and I are working with the hospital, and we're going to be like mentors for the hospital, and they're referring people to my memory cafe. That's Wonderful. a big major Lancaster General Fantastic. Hospital. Yeah. Fantastic. That's great to hear. Yes, yes that's looking good. Go ahead, John. Oh, this is John. I just want to pick up on something you said because uh, I think she's absolutely right. In in the experience of Arthur's Memory Cafe, that probably the best promotion and marketing is the people that attend that share with others. Uh, We have invited my cousin, who then in turn invited two of her friends from another support group. And so I think there is one of the ways of uh, getting the message out. Yeah, word of mouth has worked really, really well for us. Well, I I thank you for calling in, and I hope that your hospital will share it with the other hospitals that they're associated with um, in terms of this. One of the things that, um, and I'll I'll just throw this in because this might be something that you could incorporate as well. Um, Here in Minnesota, our um, Health East is working with the Alzheimer's Association. When somebody gets diagnosed for the first time, if they sign a release, the first person who contacts them from the Alzheimer's Association is not a staff member. It's somebody who um, has been recently diagnosed with the disease. Oh, I am one of them with the Alzheimer's Association. I am one of their mentors. Yes. Wonderful. I'm finding a lot of people don't call when they're first Mm -hmm. diagnosed. They don't want to talk to anyone. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping Mm -hmm. that they'll start listening and continue calling. Yep. Well, what they've done here is they have gotten a release at the doctors that's saying it's okay for you to call them so that you can reach uh-huh. out for them. But again, you've got to get permission um, through the doctor's office, kind of a cooperative. But that's a, that's been um, an amazing um, thing to kind of see come into play and just how comfortable it makes people feel. Uh, oh, that's what an a, idea. What a Thank you. and wonderful idea. Yep. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Well, yep. thank you so much for calling in. Appreciate it very okay. much. I, okay, I can't thanks. believe we're, Bye, we're down yep. to about five minutes left of the show here. Um, Carol, is there anything that you're just dying that people need to know before before the show wraps up? Yeah, one last thing, and it seems so simple, but I better say it. Um, we found effective in marketing, believe it or not, is to tell the hairdressers. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> it is. Well, that's... you know, there isn't anybody that knows more about personal life people than the hairdresser. Yep. <laughs> right. What a great that... idea. I hadn't thought of that. It is yeah, wonderful. Well, yeah. How about so, you, Yuda? Uh, all I want to say is, you know, contact us, go for it, go on the website, start your own. If there's nothing in your area, contact us, we'll help you. Lori, Carol, and I, and there are several other people who are out here to help you, okay? Because it's, it's, you'll see the payoff. Mm-hmm. It's, it's absolutely a wonderful thing. Definitely. And thank you, Lori, for doing this. 
Well, thank yeah. you. Thank you, John, John and Virginia, anything else you'd like to say? Uh, no, we've probably said it all, but uh, uh, just a note that I had uh, here, and I haven't heard it mentioned so far this morning, but one of the benefits we get out of there is idea sharing on things that have worked for the caregiver and, and the person with the disease. We've picked up two or three things that we're now doing from ideas we got from others. Oh, wonderful. That's great. That's great. How about uh, you, Ed and Judy? Anything that you want others to, to know about the memory cafes? No, I think we pretty well said it, too. I think uh, it's been our pleasure to be with you, and if there's any way we can help to entice people to come to memory cafes, we're certainly willing to do it. Uh, I think getting the word out is the big issue. Wonderful. Well, thank you all for spending time with us. Uh, this has just been a, such an interesting uh, conversation. I really appreciate everyone uh, taking the time. I do want to put in a plug for Richard Taylor also has a memory cafe online. And uh, you can Google Richard um, or Laura Bromley. Um, but they, they're doing uh, an online memory cafe where they do it via Skype and they're connecting people from around the world. The groups are small. Um, but again, it's just another way to another way to connect. No right, no wrong. Uh, it's just all about serving the need in in our different communities. Sherry, what's the one thing that you took away from uh, hearing about the memory cafes today? Well, I, I think there's a couple of things, Lori, that are near and dear to my heart because I write about it so often. And the first thing is that you know, we know that, that Alzheimer's and dementia is not just a diagnosis for the person with the disease. It's a diagnosis for, you know, the loved ones. And so hearing about the wonderful support and outlet that caregivers have by participating in the memory cafes is one aspect I absolutely love. And then the second thing is that I'm, I'm a firm believer in, um, you know, we have to take a more holistic approach to, to our, our health and our wellness and whether we're the caregiver or we're the person with the disease, you know, it isn't just about treating the body. It is about, you know, nourishing the soul and, you know, having that joy and that those those moments of happiness that we all need. And so I love what, you know, Yuda said and Carol and also, you know, Ed and Judy and John and Virginia. It's just so critical to have that in your life. So I, I, I really enjoyed this whole interview with all of you. <laughs> Oh, great, great. Well, I, as always, I, I I love having these conversations. I found it very interesting, and I, I so appreciate everyone's time and sharing. Again, you can get a hold of Carol Larkin at uh, Third Age Services and Yuda. You can go to um, all, the alzheimerscafe.com, or you can always go to alzheimerspeaks.com. Go to our About page to the Alzheimer's in Memory Cafe, and uh, you'll get a direct link to them um, as well as, uh, uh, you know, some of their other services that they that they offer there. So once again, uh, it's just been an interesting conversation. For those of you that uh, didn't catch the first half of the show with Car uh, Karen Love, um, who is the founder of CCAL, Advancing Person-Centered Living, I would highly recommend that you um, 
that you listen to the show once it's archived, which will be here shortly. We talked about the new Dementia Alliance um, on a national level that is kicking off that she is heading up. So, again, thank you all so much. Um, Sherry, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Well, I think, again, I'm. Um, you can read all of my different articles from my website. I write for, you know, Huffington Post and PBS Next Avenue and Forbes, and you can find that at caregivingclub.com. That's C-A-R-E-G-I-V-I-N-G club.com. And just as a, a heads up to all of our guests today, I'm going to be writing a couple articles, um, certainly one on the Memory Cafe, so... I'll make sure, Lori, you get a link to that. But that's probably the best way to get the information. You can also find Caregiving Club on Facebook and on YouTube. And then if you want to get in touch with me directly, it's Sherry, S-H-E-R-R-I, at caregivingclub.com. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Until next show, um, have a blessed week. Bye now. Thanks. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.